Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs uh, with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Jeff Chilton. He's the president of a company called Namex, N-A-M-M-E-X.com. And we're going to talk about what they do. It has to do with mushrooms, and I'll let him explain. So, Jeff, thanks for coming. Hey, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, so tell me, what's the premise of Namex? Well, Namex is a, a, a company that sells uh, functional or what we also call medicinal mushrooms to um, other companies out there. So we sell mushroom raw materials. I've actually been in the mushroom business since 1973. I started on a, on a very large commercial mushroom farm at that point in time after university where I did study some mycology. And uh, in 1989, I started Namex uh, to sell uh, medicinal mushroom products to the natural products industry. And, and that was really at that point in time. I mean, Richard, 1989, no herbal company out there, no supplement company actually had mushrooms in their product line. So really? yeah, it took, it took quite a while to, to educate people about uh, the fact that uh, mushrooms have been used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years, just like other um, herbs that were being used and, and uh, sold in the supplement market. So uh, Namex was really one of the first companies in that space. And again, it took a long time to actually educate people to the benefits. Well, how many different mushrooms are out there that are potentially available for people to get on a regular basis? And, you know, what are some of the properties of the various ones that you like? Well, you know what? Uh, um, there are approximately, according to uh, a book that I have uh, that was published in China, there's 270 different medicinal mushrooms that uh, there's been some research on to to uh, show benefits. We essentially, what I do is I look at I look at, for example, traditional use, and then I look and see if there's any solid scientific data behind it. And then I put the two together. And uh, what I have decided is there's about 10 to 12 different mushroom species that show uh, very solid scientific uh, research benefits as well as having been used in uh, traditional Chinese medicine. So, so that's, um, that's primarily what we sell these tell that 10 to 12 different species and here here's the primary activity of medicinal mushrooms and that is uh, immune system modulation and, and what what that means it's kind of interesting it's uh, um, they will potentiate or strengthen our immune system and look it, it's so interesting because our company in the last four years, I mean, I don't know if you've, you've seen it out there, but mushrooms all of a sudden are 
kind of like a lot of people have finally woken up to the fact that they are not only a healthy food, but, but a um, very good supplement to be taken. And now in the midst of this pandemic, it's like everybody is looking at their immune system and thinking about ways that they can strengthen it. So that's the key yeah. to what we're doing with our, our products and the key to how these mushrooms act, the key to their activity. So are they, um, are they always cooked when used in medicine or are they ever used raw? And then how are they consumed? Teas, powders? Well, you know what? Traditionally in uh, China, with all of their herbs there, they normally will decoct them. And, and that, in a sense, is, you know, it's kind of like making a soup, right? Why do we make soups? Well, we make soups because what that does is it draws a lot of the nutrients into the water. And then the, we can, uh, they become readily available and we can then drink the soup. We can also eat what's uh, the vegetables, let's say, if they're in that soup as well, but we're not going to eat the soup bone that's in there or anything like that. But the, the, that's what we do with these mushrooms. And that's the, the best way to utilize them in terms of supplement use. So we will take dried mushrooms and then we will extract them with hot water and we will do a number of different extractions depending on how concentrated we want it to be. We have concentrations that are one kilo of dried mushroom into extraction, one kilo out. We have others that are more concentrated, like four kilos in, one out, uh, eight kilos in, one out, or in some cases, as high as 16 kilos of dried mushrooms to make one kilo of um, uh, dried extract. And that's primarily what we are selling is a, we're not selling liquids, we're selling a extract powder. And the business of Namex is to sell these powders to companies in the supplement space that will put our powders into capsules, bottles, they put their label on it, or the other way they do it. And, and something that I like too, is they'll, they'll sell them uh, in bulk in either a, uh, a small jar or maybe in a stand-up pouch or something like that. But that's, that's essentially how we, um, uh, and how these uh, mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms are consumed. So what are some of the interesting ones and what are their properties? Well, <clears throat> there's one in particular that I'll start with that has been um, called the mushroom of immortality. And that's the reishi mushroom. Have you ever heard of reishi mushroom? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, reishi mushroom is a really interesting mushroom. It's it's uh, when you look at a reishi mushroom, it looks it's got a a cap on it that looks almost like a uh, it's in a kind of a kidney shape, but it's like a ram's horn, and it's and it's red. It's beautiful. This mushroom is highly revered in China, and it's one of the primary mushrooms that has been utilized for immunological potentiation. And, you know, mushrooms are what are called adaptogens. And an adaptogen is something that is, uh, they, in China, they call these harmony herbs. And so the whole idea is to bring a person back into balance because, you know, so often with disease, 
what it is is that there's some some uh, um, infirmity or something going on where all of a sudden we're just completely out of balance because either maybe it's a a uh, viral infection, maybe it is uh, some other uh, illness that has got us. And, and the idea with these mushrooms is to maintain a level of homeostasis, a uh, level of harmony. And so with these types of herbs, you are consuming them uh, in a uh, ongoing way. And the way I look at it is that the key for them is prevention. And, and, you know, Richard, I think that's kind of the way I look at our diet. You know, our diet should be foods that are nourishing, um, healthful, and, and they also will help us to to maintain an, uh, a higher level of, uh, let's just say, immune competence. And, and uh, in that sense, I look at certain herbs as um, food as medicine. And I think mushrooms are a key herb for that. And so what, what I like to tell people for one is that mushrooms are, are in a sense a forgotten food. And I consider them like the missing link. In, in Asia, they eat at least a dozen different mushroom species in their diet all the time. And there's research out there that demonstrate that people who eat more mushrooms tend to live longer. And they're actually seen as a longevity type of herb and longevity food. So for me, that's one of the concepts that, that I think is so important and that that we're all looking for with our food is we want food that that can basically help to sustain us in a very helpful way and and help us to resist disease. Um, do you guys grow the mushrooms yourself or uh, are you more in the identifying and helping to set up farms to to grow them? And then, you know, doing supply chain stuff. Like what's, what's your role in MX? Well, you know, I, I, um, come out of a, um, um, sort of like a history of growing mushrooms on a very large scale. So uh, when I went to work in, in, uh, on the mushroom farm in 1973. I spent 10 years there. We were growing over 2 million pounds of mushrooms a year. And on that farm, it was mostly the button mushroom, which is the common one you see in the supermarkets. But we were actually, there was a Japanese scientist there that was growing shiitake, uh, oyster mushroom, and enoki taki. So Ooh, I was- Those are all good. Enokis? Well, I've had all, all of them in soups and you know, I love oh, really oh man. Yeah. I, I mean, Anoki, I, I really love shiitake is the one that I, I always recommend to people as being, if you're going to eat one mushroom, eat the shiitake mushroom and put it into your diet. But, but here, here's a really an interesting fact. And, and that is that, that I cannot grow mushrooms in North America and sell them as supplements. I can sell them uh, into the fresh market as food. I mean, think about this for a second. I take my mushrooms to the market and I, I get, um, as a producer, a USDA says that uh, um, producers for shiitake today will get $3.50 a pound. Okay, $3.50 a pound for their fresh shiitake mushrooms. Great. That's, that's a good business. But 
like most vegetables, mushrooms are 90% water. Supplements are not fresh. Supplements are dried powders. So I have to dry that out now. And so, so if it's 90% water, when I dry that out, instead of getting $3.50 a pound for that, I now have to sell it for $35 a pound. That kind of economics does not work for mushrooms as supplements. And as a large-scale mushroom grower, I understood that so that when I started my company uh, to sell uh, mushrooms as supplements, um, I went to China and I traveled all through China in the, the 90s, going to conferences, uh, visiting mushroom farms, visiting research institutes, because that is, that is kind of like the birthplace of mushroom cultivation is in China. So, so we started growing all of our mushrooms, contracting with growers, growing them all in China. And in 1997, I took the largest organic certifier in the United States, OCIA, with me to China and organized the very first uh, organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997. Ever since then, we've been we've been getting nothing but high quality organic mushrooms over there. Not not Chinese certifiers, anything like that. We've got high quality European certifiers that certify it. Plus, we test all of our mushrooms uh, at least twice for pesticides, heavy metals, uh, microorganisms. You know, Richard. Let's face it. A lot of people go, "Oh, China. Oh my God." You know, it's like I wouldn't eat anything from China. Well, you know what? I wouldn't need anything from the Gulf Coast of the United States either. <laughs> it really depends on what's going on agriculturally. It's just like the amount of chemicals in the food supply in the United States is yeah. outrageous. Um, you know, there's chemicals that we know about and there's chemicals we don't know about. So for me, it's like, look, um, we grow them there because if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to bring you mushrooms as supplements. And interestingly enough, China produces over 85% of the world's mushrooms. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Of all Can kinds? You, or, or certain kinds? Of, of all kinds. <clears throat> the the, the uh, mushroom right now, you know, for the longest period of time, the uh, button mushroom was the major mushroom that was produced um, in the world today, shiitake has actually surpassed that. So the number one mushroom in the world now, in terms of the uh, total amount that is produced, are shiitake mushrooms. And, and so anyway, think of that for a minute. 85% of the world's mushrooms come out of China and they go everywhere. They're, they're shipped out. I mean, the Japanese are there producing mushrooms in China. The Taiwanese... Oh are doing it. It's a huge business over there. And they are so efficient at doing it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. And here's something that I love about mushrooms that a lot of people may, may not be too familiar with how they grow. Mushrooms are grown on what are considered to be agricultural waste materials. And uh, an example of that is in the United States, the button mushroom, what that is primarily grown on is straw. Now think about a country that produces all of hmm. these 
grains, like all of the wheat straw out of there. We used tons and tons and tons of wheat straw on the farm in the 70 to grow the button mushrooms. We composted it, but that was the basic thing. You know, people think, oh yeah, they're growing on manure or something. Not true. The primary <laughs> ingredient in the mushroom compost that the button mushroom is grown on is wheat straw. Interesting. Is it what, just wet wheat straw or I was well, going to ask you, yeah, like what, what's it, well, how well, are they what, grown? Where are they grown? So well, what you have, cool. yeah, well, what you have to do with, with that wheat straw is the first thing you have to do is you got to get it wet because you're composting it, right? So, so you get it really soaking wet and then you, you put it into long rows. We called it a rick, which is like, this is a compost pile that is six feet wide, uh, seven foot tall. You add other supplements to it. Again, agricultural waste materials. We used to add back then, we used to add the what's left over after uh, wineries would uh, uh, take what they needed from the grapes or grape juice. So it was called grape pumice where it had the seed, the stock. We also used cottonseed meal. Um, we used sugar cane uh, bagasse, which is the pulp from making sugar all sorts of different agricultural waste products. So that's what's so cool that's about really growing. Cool. Oh man! I what, mean, can what, you are the, um, what are the mushrooms do to this the substrate as they eat through it? Well, they they're they're taking the nutrients that they need first of all, and they're slowly breaking it down. So so as they as you are picking all these mushrooms off that substrate, that substrate is shrinking because it's being consumed. And then when you're finished, that substrate is used to put back in the soils as an adjuvant to soil building. So That's the cool. process is just amazing that's one of the things i loved about uh and about mushroom farming is that you're repurposing these materials to be putting back and that's what mushrooms do in nature they're breaking down all the organic material that is falling down onto the forest floor or out in the fields or wherever they're breaking all that down to repurpose it back into humus huh that's amazing so oh, yeah what happens, let's say, in the U.S., uh, you know, to a field? Uh, I mean, you know, they package the hay, I guess, and give it to horses and other livestock. But is there anything else useful that's done with uh, materials like hay or, or no? Well, well, remember, too, now, <clears throat> there's a big difference between hay and straw. Hay is oh. actually a much more nutritious material that they will use for animal feed. Straw, I mean, you know, with hay, they still have the head on there with, with uh, a grain straw or something. They've taken the head off because that's where the actual wheat kernels or grain kernels are. So it is just the stock nothing more so so you can't really you can't feed straw to a horse or an animal or anything basically i mean you might use it as bedding but but basically that hay which is which is a lot of cellulose and fiber is just perfect material to compost down for growing mushrooms interesting okay i didn't know that there was a difference you know i'm not uh I'm not into this stuff. Interesting. What, what, do you, what do you mean? You're not a farmer, Richard? Come on. <laughs> yeah. In another life, maybe. Yeah, um, in another lifetime, I, I understand. Are there, are there mushrooms that, that can be grown alongside of crops uh, to help them grow better? 
Well, yeah, you know what? It's it's kind of interesting because you can grow mushrooms um, uh, outdoors in uh, in your garden, for example, and and they can be coming up uh, uh, with you some of the plants that you're growing. It just depends because because generally speaking, those kind of mushrooms are not so much mushrooms that grow out of soil, but grow out of uh, woody material or, or straw or something that you might be mulching around some of your plants or something like that. So you can actually buy the seed for growing mushrooms. And, and that's something that's also kind of interesting is that, you know, how do you grow a mushroom? Mushrooms don't have seeds. So, so what do you do if, you, if you've got no seeds? Well, well, mushrooms produce spores, but you don't plant spores. What you do is, is this organism will produce spores. The spores go out there into nature. The spore will germinate into a very fine filament. When these filaments come together, they will form a network. That network is called mycelium. If you saw mycelium when you're out picking mushrooms uh, wild or something like that, it would just look like mold. It would just look like some kind of white fuzzy mold. Well, when you grow that out, that mycelium out on some carrier material, that becomes the seed to actually grow mushrooms. So, so that that's how we would grow mushrooms. Is we would we would basically get that we would produce that what we call spawn, and then plant that spawn in our substrates, whichever that happens to be. And the mushrooms are the fruiting bodies of the mycelium, right? <clears throat> That's right. That's right. So, so think about it this way: we've got, we've got, uh, uh, you know, in the herbal industry, when you go out there to buy an herbal product, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm buying this herb. What part of this plant is it of this herb that is the medicinal part? Because you've got the root, you've got the fruit, you've got the leaf. Um, you've got the flower. It really depends. So, so with a mushroom, we've got three basic parts. We've got a spore, we've got this mycelium, and then we have the mushroom itself. And traditionally, it, it's been the mushroom that has always been used for medicinal purposes. And the mushroom actually is where most of the medicinal compounds reside. The mycelium, in the United States, some people actually grow the mycelium on grain, a sterile grain, and then they will sell it as a mushroom. And it's not a mushroom, and it's mostly starch. Mushrooms do not have starch in them at all. So, so a lot of these products that are being sold and called mushrooms are just nothing but what we would call myceliated grain. And are you familiar at all with a food product called tempeh? Never heard of tempeh. Yeah. Never heard of tempeh is actually a, a. I've heard of it. I just if I've eaten it, I don't know. I'm sure it was in something I've eaten, but I've, you know, it's not something I, like I actively look, looked out for. Yeah, well, see, the thing with tempeh, what's what's really interesting is tempeh is cooked soybeans with a fungus mycelium grown on it. So when you get a little block of tempeh from the store, you pull it out of the package, and it's white, and and it's this white uh, mold covering these soybeans. So tempeh is actual fungal mycelium. Well, that's you can eat this mycelium as a food, but 
some people now, some companies in the United States take that, they dry it out, grind it to a powder, and they sell those types of products and they call them mushroom. And so one really has to be careful when you're out there buying a supplement product that you don't end up with one of those tempeh products masquerading as a mushroom. Huh. Within um, mushrooms themselves, is there much difference between the cap and the stem in terms of effects and or do people just grind up the whole thing and there's your supplement? Well, you know what? We, we use the whole uh, mushroom cap and stem. There, there have been some research that, that shows a little bit of difference between the two. What's really interesting is that one of the compounds that we measure in all our products, and this is the compound that makes mushrooms medicinal, are called beta-glucans. And what scientists have discovered is that uh, in tests that they ran on the shiitake mushroom, there was actually more beta-glucan in the stem than in the cap, which was really fascinating. But beta-glucans are in the cell walls of all mushrooms, and they're part of the structure of that mushroom. And so in a way, it almost stands to reason that maybe maybe they need a little more of that structural material in the stem just to hold that mushroom standing up. Hmm. I've heard about beta-glucans. They're supposed to be good for your microbiome and your digestion and all that stuff. And that's what they're a prebiotic, prebiotic essentially. That's that's you know what that's absolutely right. And 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 um, one of the things that when you're eating mushrooms is that mushrooms actually have a lot of fiber, and the beta glucans are part of that fiber in a mushroom. There's also a compound called chitin, which uh, I don't know if you've heard of chitin. Chitin is is what is, makes up uh, the actual shells of a crustacean but of course yeah but that but yeah but that kind of uh, that kind of chitin actually uses a lot of calcium carbonate so it's hard obviously a mushroom isn't hard like a crab shell or anything like that but uh mushrooms do have a certain amount of chitin which makes them a little less digestible which means that you know things uh, there are a lot of plants out there that are not as digestible and so they're higher in fiber and what that means is they become a prebiotic and they feed our microbiome, which we are learning is very important. So when you're eating mushrooms, not only are you getting the nutrients that are there in that mushroom, and they're very nutritious, but you're also feeding your microbiome with that fiber. Oh, that's really interesting. Are there um, are mushrooms ever grown with other plants? Again, the, have you seen them just, are they usually grown in darkness? Are they grown on substrates just out in the sun? Like you started to talk about uh, straw being used uh, what other interesting or unique ways are mushrooms grown that you've observed well well you know what here here's something that's really interesting about mushrooms is that the the mushrooms need light to grow you have to have light to grow the mushroom. Uh, if you don't have proper light, what happens is a mushroom will end up with a very long stem and a tiny cap. So sometimes you might find a, a mushroom that has grown out from under some obstruction. Like, like sometimes you see plants that do that. They're kind of like seeking the light. So, so, uh, but What's interesting is that there are some mushrooms out there that don't need light 
And one of those is the button mushroom. The button mushroom does not need light. So, so traditionally, for example, in Europe where that was cultivation was started, they grew mushrooms in all of the limestone caves around Paris where they had been mining this limestone for use in buildings and so on. They, they, down in those caverns, those caves, uh, basically mines, they, it was like a perfect temperature. It's like if 58 degrees. And so they grew their mushrooms down there and it was a gear because they didn't need light to do it. But most other mushrooms need light. And most of our mushrooms are grown in greenhouses with shade cloth over them. Remember, a mushroom needs high humidity. It needs moisture to grow. If it's in direct sunlight in a dry climate, it will just dry right out. So when do mushrooms grow normally? They grow during the rainy season. They need rain in, in, in nature, right? So, so in the yes. Pacific Northwest, where I am, it's, it's the fall, September, October, November, when we have flushes of mushrooms out there. And the reason, of course, is the temperature goes down, the relative humidity goes up, and it's raining. So everything gets very moist, perfect conditions for the mushrooms to grow. If they're in, in some place where it's, uh, uh, let's just say, hot and dry, man, you're not going to find many mushrooms except something that's maybe hiding behind some kind of a shield from the sun. But you need moisture for a mushroom to grow. Do you, do you go mushrooming? Is that like a hobby of yours that you like? To oh, do? oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've been mushrooming since the, uh, since the 60s. I've been out uh, wild mushrooming. You know, Mushrooming is is uh, so much fun, Richard. You ever been out mushrooming? No, I I thought about doing it, but uh, you know, then this uh, Corona stuff happened. But I was going to go locally with a group and and look for some. I guess you know, I'm always afraid that if I did it myself, I'd pick ones the wrong one that looks just like one you can eat, and then you know, die from eating it or something. <laughs> I know, I understand completely. And what I recommend to people do is what you were talking about, which is normally in larger metropolitan areas and sometimes smaller ones, there will be a mushroom club or society and they go out during the season. They love to take people out with them. And, and then you basically can start to learn about it. And what I always recommend to people is, well, a couple of things, one of which is never, ever, ever, eat a wild mushroom unless it's been properly identified by an expert. Um, and, and then when you're going out with these clubs, what normally happens is they will be finding certain species that are relatively common that may in fact be easy to identify, like for example, a mushroom called the chanterelle, which is kind of looks like a golden trumpet, very hard to mistake that for something else. So what you do is you go out with these groups, you learn one mushroom. Maybe the next year you go out, you learn a second mushroom, but you just get to know a couple of species really well. And then you can go out uh, yourself or with friends or whatever, and you know what you're looking for, you know where they grow, and you don't end up with something that you shouldn't be eating. The other thing I would tell, tell you too is the first time you eat any mushroom, new mushroom, just and it's kind of like, like the first time you eat any food, don't eat a lot of it. Because 
there's there's every food will have like five percent of the population that's allergic to it so you know eat a small amount see how you like it see how your system um reacts to it and if it's all good then the next time you can you know have a normal a portion of it and uh, put it into your diet and, and so i would say that's the same thing if you're out there in the marketplace in the supermarket or something you see shiitake mushrooms well you know buy a small bag of them try them out don't eat a whole lot try them out see see how you feel with them at all because again like i say everybody you know a small amount of the population that will be allergic to whatever food so just just uh, remember that yeah no, it makes a lot of sense so um are there any mushrooms that you'd like to have that, you know, you don't have right now or ones that are up and coming that are still being studied to see if they're useful? Like what's, what's new in the mushroom world? Oh, you know what? Yes, indeed. There's always that sort of like, what is on the horizon? What are the ones that they're studying? You know, what's interesting is that, have you ever heard of the mushroom called cordyceps? Yeah. Well, well, cordyceps has has traditionally been wild crafted up in Tibet, and cordyceps actually grows on a caterpillar. <laughs> so really? the people that are out wild crafting it, the caterpillar is part of the final herb. So when they're when they're hunting down this cordyceps, and it's like a little blade of grass, they actually will will pull back the earth that it's growing in in these pastures, and they will pull out the caterpillar which is which is dead uh but it's still a caterpillar and it's got this little cordyceps growing on it but um that wild crafted cordyceps which has been used for a long time is so expensive it's not in the supplement industry because it's like twenty thousand dollars a dried kilogram can you imagine <laughs> nobody is can afford the one that, that, that grows out of the caterpillar's head or out of ants ants heads well, yes, yes, indeed. It grows out of the, the caterpillar's head. And, and the, these cordyceps, this genus, they basically feed on insects. So they grow on all sorts of insects, different species on different types of insects. We actually now, and this is the other thing that's really interesting for me, is that every so often there will be a new mushroom that the scientists learn how to cultivate. And so now we are cultivating a cordyceps species called cordyceps militaris. And so when we sell cordyceps, it is 100% cordyceps, 100% the cordyceps mushroom, no insects involved. And, and it, that is just fantastic. And, and plus it's at a, at a very reasonable price. It's not like thousands of dollars a kilogram or anything. It's, it's very reasonable price. So we can actually put out a hundred percent cordyceps supplement that is, is um, uh, give you the benefits of the cordyceps. But what, what are the benefits of it? Just out of curiosity. Well, well cordyceps actually is uh, something. Hopefully that, it won't make a, a mushroom grow out of my head. You know. <laughs> that's right that's right watch out it's alive <laughs> the, yeah. cordyceps actually is is very good for fatigue uh lack of energy that's one of the primary uses for cordyceps and and you know what you were saying earlier before too about new species there are a couple of new species that uh i'm really interested in and we're really looking at one of them is called the cauliflower mushroom and the cauliflower mushroom, we, we have it growing up in this part of the world, and it it can grow really large. It can be like two, three, four pounds of uh, this thing. And it and it's all kind of it's it's 
uh, hard to describe, but it's almost like these, these fat um, noodles, like uh, um, some kind of, I, I don't know, uh, the exact type of noodles, but, and, and just almost like a cauliflower too. And you look at it and it's just like, my God, what is that thing? But it tastes so good. And now they are starting to cultivate it in China. We're, we're tracking it down and we're really interested in doing some testing on it to uh, possibly introduce it in the coming years. So yeah, there's, there's those kind of things that, that we're really excited about. The other thing, the other thing that's really interesting too about mushrooms is mushrooms have a compound in them called called ergosterol. Ergosterol is a the fungal sterol, and it actually, when you expose this ergosterol or or the mushroom powder to UV light, it turns from ergosterol into ergocalciferol vitamin d2 so so actually uh like even if you were to put your mushrooms out in the sun for 30 minutes that would raise the level they don't have a lot of vitamin d as is but when you expose them to uv light then you could actually end up with 20 to 30 percent of your of your rda for vitamin d but what we've got now is we actually are are um, exposing large quantities of mushroom powder to uv light to produce levels of vitamin D2 to the point now where we actually have a vitamin D2 product that is nothing more than mushroom powder. It's pretty cool. Isn't that great? I mean, and, and I don't know if you've ever, ever looked at vitamin D very closely, but vitamin D3 comes from lanolin from sheep's wool and the process to actually extract that vitamin D3 from that lanolin is chemical heavy and it's it's an it's quite an involved process to get that vitamin D3 with this vitamin D2 from ergosterol no chemicals involved it's just exposing the mushroom powder to uv light and then you can get a very high level of vitamin d2 and that's now something that we're selling and and, you know for right now is just something where where vegans who are maybe not into animal products might look at vitamin D2. Vitamin D2 has been used for for a couple hundred years now. They it was one of the first vitamins that uh D vitamins that they were producing to to actually fortify foods back in the mid 1800s when there was an outbreak of rickets in Britain because of the industrial revolution. And they they figured out that all of that pollution in the cities of Britain, these industrial cities, they had children that were walking around with bull eggs and with rickets. And the children in the country were not. So they figured out it was a vitamin D deficiency. And so they started to fortify milk and other products, food products with vitamin D actually manufactured from 
yeast uh, into uh, um, the, the products and the whole rickets thing just went away. Hmm. I guess what you're saying is there's uh, many, many industries that could come from mushrooms and there's a tremendous uh, pharmacopoeia, cornucopia of mushrooms that uh, could be used and discovered. But is it is it moving in that direction or is it still pretty rare that anyone considers or cares about mushrooms much? Oh, you know what? There is uh, so many, there are so many scientists that are researching uh, mushrooms and other fungi at this point in time. I mean, it is a very vast um, uh, um, number of different species out there that have yet to be discovered, yes to yet to be researched. So, so there is a lot to learn. And right now, one of the things that we are doing is we are utilizing the uh, fungi that uh, uh, we know about, uh, especially for food. More and more mushrooms are being consumed. Uh, we're we're behind the curve in the West. Uh, in in Asia, they've been eating 12 different species for quite a long time. Um, in, in Europe, they've been eating many more species than we have in North America. So that is changing rapidly right now. We've got, we've got growers in the United States now that are producing a lot of these different mushrooms. So, so if you're in the right place, you could probably find six different species uh, to purchase in one of the supermarkets, Whole Foods or something like that in the United States. So so it's something that's really growing. Again, I, I think it's a food product that should be in everybody's diet. I know uh, a, a scientist that has now put mushrooms into the food pyramid, <laughs> which I thought was oh, really, really interesting. And and again, it's it's just a really good food. Lots of benefits for people. I, I mean, mushrooms are are have the beta glucans when you're eating them. Uh, they're a reasonable amount of protein. They've got a good amount of B vitamins, B one, two, and three. Um, they've again the fiber to feed your microbiome. Yeah, great food, lots going on with mushrooms. So so in North America right now, we're just at the beginning of this whole trend to getting mushrooms into people's diets as well as used as uh, supplements. Well, very cool. Uh, what's the best way for people to find out more about Namex and you know about mushrooms as well? How can they uh, take the next step? Well, uh, come to our website. It's namex.com. I've got a lot of great information there. We've got an educational area. Come to namex.com. I've also got a couple of slideshows there that talk about how we actually grow our mushrooms, uh, the difference in the mushroom products. If, if, uh, and and again, we're kind of a business to business, but if people are interested in, in an actual consumer level product, we have a division called realmushrooms.com. They can go to realmushrooms.com and and they can realmushrooms.com has also got a, a lot of good information there as well and and uh, people could also source the the actual products if they're interested but uh, again for me richard I, I i encourage people put mushrooms into your diet try shiitake mushrooms great food if you want to take the next step look at mushrooms for supplements you can come to our websites get get more information okay well very good thanks for coming i really appreciate it Hey, you're welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.